episode is supported by TeamDrive, the enterprise and personal file synchronization and sharing solution that is secure and protects your privacy. To learn more, visit teamdrive.com or if you are from US, visit syncion.com. S-Y-N-Q-I-O-N.com. You will get 15% discount on the first year subscription if you use coupon code GADA15, G-A-D-A-1-5. This episode is supported by Tutanota, the secure Gmail replacement. I use Tutanota because it respects my privacy and keeps my data secure. As Tutanota is ad-free, the team asked me to keep this ad short. So let's start with the real thing. To know more, visit tutanota.com. This is Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. Here's your host, Francesco Garaletta. Thanks for tuning in and welcome back to Data Science at Home podcast, where we talk about technology, machine learning and algorithms. Today, I'm going to explain some of the, I think, the most important aspect of machine learning. In my opinion, is about function minimization, because this algorithm and uh, this methodology comes from, of course, uh, optimization theory from mathematics and has been applied quite extensively to uh, machine learning and data science, and of course, deep learning. So every time you deal with uh, a prediction model, uh, what we are basically doing is um, function minimization, where the function that you are trying to minimize is a special function, which goes under the name of uh, loss function. I will use an example uh, across the entire episode that will uh, be clarifying some of the concepts that I'm going to introduce here. Let's assume that we have a, a very trivial machine learning model, for instance, a linear regression, and uh, a bunch of data, a bunch of samples that we are trying to fit. Uh, so basically we have a, a straight line in our model, y equal ax plus b type of model, in which we need to learn the coefficient a, which is the slope of the straight line that approximates this cloud of points, provided we have, for instance, two-dimensional observations. So, okay, let's assume we have a bunch of observations in two dimensions. And what we need to do is training a machine learning model, in this case, a linear regression, and learn the parameters that best approximate this cloud of points. And so in this case, we only need two parameters, which is the slope of the straight line and of course the intercept. Now, what we are doing with uh, a simple model like the one that I just mentioned is function minimization. And uh, what is the minimization? Well, what we are trying to do is minimizing the differences between the true values of uh, our data Uh, the y uh, values, and of course the predicted values. And so if there is a large difference between these two, well, that means that our model is not that good. If otherwise this difference, and so the function loss, is uh, very approximately zero, well, that means that our model is great. Our model is approximating very, very well uh, with the coefficient, uh, the parameters a, and B, we are approximating our data points 
very, very nicely. Of course, we don't know what these parameters are. And so the learning process is nothing more than exploring uh, what are these parameters, what these parameters can be. And so starting from the data with you know, our stochastic gradient descent methods, etc., we'll try to minimize this function, which means finding the best A's and B's such that the uh, differences between the predicted values and the true values are minimum, hopefully zero. Now, in order to do this, which is the uh, basically the core calculations of any machine learning model, even deep neural networks, you know, just in a very, in a much larger number of dimensions. But after all, it's exactly the same from two to two million dimensions. In this approach, researchers use, uh, and probably you have heard of it, the so-called L1 norm or the L2 norm for regularization or for loss function. So in this episode, I'm going to clarify and, you know, making the explaining what are the differences between the L1 and L2 so that you can understand at least what you are using uh, the next time you will write some Python code that does probably do it for you. So the first uh, metric is so-called L1 norm. Uh, this is also uh, known as uh, the least absolute deviation or LAD or least absolute errors. And it basically consists in calculating well, in summing across all the inputs, so if we have n data points, we're going to have uh, the sum over n of the differences of the absolute value of the difference between the true value and the predicted value. And so if the true value for a data point 1, let's say, is a, a y1 and the predicted value is f of x1, well, then the difference between y1 and f of x1 uh, passed through the absolute value, so we extract the absolute value of that, we sum across all the samples, and and that's what we uh, and that's what we get the least absolute deviation, and that's indeed the name tells it all, which is uh, absolute deviation, which means how much the prediction deviates from the true value, and the absolute stands for uh, you know because we are taking the absolute value of it. So it's, it's only going to be, it's always going to be a positive number or hopefully a zero. Now, the second measure is the L2 norm, which is also known as the least squares. And also here the name explains uh, quite nicely what it does. The least squares is nothing more than the differences between the predicted value and the true value to the power of 2. So instead of taking the absolute value here, we are taking the square of the differences between the target value and the estimated values. Now, these two measures, uh, which look, if you know, if you, if you have them written in front of you, they really look like, um, look, look the same thing, but they are extremely different from each other. And so there are some major differences, of course, in this episode, will not go into the mathematical details of uh, how do we define the properties of, uh, of each of these metrics, but at least knowing what they do and when should we use each of them, uh, I think is quite important for a data scientist to know. 
let's start from the L2 norm. Let's start saying that the L2 norm squares the error, okay? And so, as we said, it takes the error, it takes the difference between predicted value and true value, and it elevates to the power 2. Now, when we do that and we try to minimize a function that minimizes the square of the, of the differences, so the square of the error, well, that means that uh, if we have an outlier in our data, the model will be adjusted uh, to minimize this single value, this single outlier case. And so in that respect, we say that L2 is not very robust because as we can understand, if you have a few outliers, outliers are data points that you know are, are a bit different from the majority of the other points, but these points can actually change the model dramatically just because you know the model is uh, tuning itself around these outliers because if you take a, an error and you elevate it to power two, then, then the error is gonna be much larger. And so the minimization around that specific outlier will actually affect all the other points. This doesn't happen, for instance, for the least absolute deviation. And uh, I will try to explain why with an example, even though uh, having a, a, a visualization of what I'm saying in front of you, it's much helpful. As for the stability, the least squares, so the L2 norm, is usually more stable than the least absolute deviation. Actually, least absolute deviation provide unstable solutions. And uh, in order to explain this property, uh, I'm gonna try to explain a linear regression by using a cloud of data points and a straight line. So the, the linear regression that I just uh, mentioned before. So let's assume we have, uh, let's say, four data points and uh, we found a um, relatively good straight line that passes through this cloud of points and that's my linear regression model, okay? So I have a slope and I have an intercept and I'm happy with that. Now, what happens if we have an outlier in uh, the case of an L1 norm, so the least absolute deviation, and what happens if we have the same outlier in the least squares regression, so in the L2 norm case? So in the first case, if we have an outlier and we start moving this outlier um, a bit you know, far from the rest of the points, of the data points, we might see a change in the slope of the uh, straight line that we just learned. And so this linear regression that we learned uh, before moving that outlier, for instance, might have a positive slope. And as we move that outlier closer or farther from the other points, the slope of that straight line can change dramatically. It can even become positive if it was negative or negative if it was positive. So it, it can really change sign. And this means that your linear regression model is completely different because we actually have two different straight lines that go in two different directions just because we move an outlier. Now, in the case of the L2 norm, this doesn't happen. And that's, uh, that's amazing because, you know, the L2 norm, as we said, is uh, tuning the model around that specific outlier. And so instead of having a straight line, most of the time we have um, a curve that tries to pass through each of these points, okay, even through the outlier. So if we move the outlier, we're gonna just change the model around the outlier. 
And that means that the shape of the model, and so the shape of this curve that approximates your points, your data points, is gonna stay the same, or, well, very similar to the one before moving the outlier closer or farther. And this is what mathematicians ref uh, usually refer to as stability. That's why we say the least squares regression uh, with the L2 norm are usually more stable than the least absolute deviation regression, uh, which is uh, almost always unstable. As a consequence of this stability and instability, robustness, non-robustness, we have also uh, the number of uh, solutions that are usually uh, provided by a least squares regression versus a least absolute deviation regression. And, uh, you know, mathematically, we always have one solution for the L2 norm, but we possibly have multiple solutions for the least absolute deviations. And that's quite interesting and also uh, quite easy I think to understand because if you have a cloud of um, of data points, uh, you know you might have multiple straight lines, let's say, that approximate or kind of try to interpolate. They usually never interpolate, but they try to approximate this cloud of points. You might have a number of these straight lines uh, that more or less are you know are almost all all of them good enough for our model. And so to they minimize the loss function uh, at, uh, in the same amount. And so uh, this means that we have multiple coefficients. And so we have multiple uh, slope coefficients, we have multiple intercept parameters, which means we basically have multiple models and multiple solutions. This never happens for the L2 norm because for the L2 norm, we always have one curve that passes through all the uh, points in our uh, cloud of observations. And so we have always one solution. Now, we have seen L1 norm and L2 norm for loss functions, but uh, there is another concept where this L1, L2 metrics play an important role, which is about the sparsity of coefficients. And I think there is a bit of misunderstanding with this respect, because uh, some folks I've, I've seen, at least from the emails and uh, from some fora I've been reading, some people believe that L2 and L1 also control the sparsity of the coefficients. Uh, and so the sparsity of the features that are or might be relevant for a certain prediction. That's not really true. And actually, an L1 norm error function does not necessarily produce sparse coefficients, but what produces sparse coefficients is a regularization term that is usually added in the function to minimize. And so uh, in the normal least square error function or loss function, uh, one usually calculates uh, y, which is the target, minus the predicted value to the power of two. Okay, and so usually the predicted value is uh, the input times a matrix of coefficient or a coefficient vector that you usually call W. And so what we try to minimize there is Y minus uh, X times or X dot product W uh, to the power of two. So that's the normal least squares error function. Now, if we don't add any regularization term, there will be no sparsity. Uh, but the sparsity is actually regulated by uh, the fact that we add 
a regularization term with L2 norm or L1 norm. So that's when the L1 norm and L2 norm play the role in uh, uh, defining the sparsity of the coefficients. What is the sparsity of the coefficient? Well, sparsity of the coefficient is a very simple concept. Imagine you have a thousand variables that might be all related to the y, to the outcome uh, that you are trying to predict. Well, almost always not all thousand variables are relevant, at least with the same amount. And so there might be that many variables are actually not relevant at all. And so in order to predict the target variable, for instance, uh, 500 variables are not useful, are not relevant, and therefore the coefficients that control the contribution of these variables will be zero. Now, this is exactly what I mean by sparsity. Sparsity means that uh, only a bunch of variables among the thousand that I just mentioned are truly relevant for the prediction. And uh, of course, you can control the, the amount of sparsity and so be a bit more aggressive uh, with the sparsity or a bit more relaxed. And that is so-called sparsity coefficient that regulates how aggressive you want to be by selecting features. Now, this is exactly the role played by L1 and L2 uh, regularization terms. And so if we change the normal least squares loss function into something into the same function to which we add w to the power of 2, which is the L2 regularization. And so what we are adding in the first case is uh, an L2 regularization term that takes the coefficient, takes the parameters, and elevates them to the power of 2. In the L1 regularization, to the normal least squares error function, we add an L1 regularization term, which is the absolute value of the coefficients, so the absolute value of w. And uh, as we uh, can see, of course, I'm not providing the uh, mathematical background or, or explanation of why this is true, but basically with an L2 regularization term, we have no feature selection. So all the variables will be considered as relevant to predict the y, but maybe with coefficients that are almost close, very close to zero, but they will be non-zero coefficients. While in the second case, the L1 regularization term, this uh, regularization term has um, a built-in feature selection, which means that many variables, you know, if, may, if many variables are not relevant to predict the, the, the target variable, well, then their coefficients will be shrunk to zero. Now, in uh, more complex regularizations and uh, loss functions, there might be both a, an L1 and an L2 regularization term controlled by so-called uh, shrinkage factor coefficients that determine how aggressive we want to be into selecting features, and which means sh you know, the shrinking factor indeed. I hope this is clear, even though I understand that having uh, this explanation in front of you on a screen or on paper is uh, much more helpful. So I will add to the show notes the uh, exactly the visualization that I just mentioned in this episode. I hope it helps and uh, till next time. This episode is supported by CryptPad, the secure collaboration platform to edit your documents with colleagues and friends without compromising your privacy. No document can be read by the cloud or the NSA, not even CryptPad themselves. 
You can try it for free. For more, visit cryptpad.fr. C-R-Y-P-T-P-A-D.fr. This was Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. If you like the show, don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. You can also find us on datascienceathome.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and get the latest updates. Thanks for listening. Hey, are you still there? Well, let me tell you about the newsletter of Data Science at Home. It's my free digest of the best content in artificial intelligence, data science, predictive analytics, and computer science. Subscribe now, datascienceathome.com. Imagine an organization that wants to unlock the value of their data, but their data is too sensitive. Imagine a data scientist who wants to work on very rare data, but she cannot access them. With FitChain, organizations and individuals can unlock the value of their data instantly, connecting them to data scientists who have an incentive to work on a solution. No confidential information will ever leave the organization, which, thanks to FitChain, can keep their industrial secrets while enjoying the endless benefits of machine learning. But wait, there's more. Data owners can monetize their data. Data scientists can monetize their models. With a team of experts in AI and blockchain technology, FitChain allows highly regulated environments from domains like healthcare, research and development, and banking to take advantage of machine learning without compromising the thing we value most, confidentiality. Visit fitchain.io and unlock the value of your data.